What do the Hamden County Sheriff's Office, local area police departments, and local councils on aging all have in common? They are the three partnerships that form the Hamden County Triad Program, created by Sheriff Nick Kochi to provide local seniors in Hamden County safe, healthy, and free services. This winter, the Sheriff's Department is hosting a Sand for Seniors program to offer free buckets of sand to senior citizens as a preventative measure for use on sidewalks, driveways, and walkways. For other triad services available, call 413-858-0060. The ideas and opinions expressed in this show do not reflect the views of WHMP or Saga Communications. This show may contain subject matter not suitable for all listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Breathe. Place your hand over your heart and come back home to your humanity. Hi, I'm Lisa Riley, and each week we're here to share the stigmas and narratives from those who have been impacted by the criminal justice system, the reality of life behind the wall, the people and organizations committed to bringing positive change, and the inspiring stories of those who are hustling to prove that failure isn't final. This is The Hustler Files. Welcome, everyone. I'm delighted to have with us this week Beth Goldstein and Elizabeth Swanson, both professors and faculty at Babson College. They are multi-published authors, champions for social justice and equity issues both here in the U.S. and abroad, and leaders who are driving the charge to bring an educational, entrepreneurial, and life-changing initiative behind the wall. Beth and Elizabeth, welcome to This Week with the Hustler Files. Thank Thank you, you, Lisa. So your prison initiative is called Venturing Out, and in reading your bios, you both have such remarkable careers. But give us a quick snapshot of how you came to Babson and became involved in this Venturing Out prison initiative. Beth, if you want to start us off. Sure, I'd be happy to. So my background is in marketing and entrepreneurship. And I arrived at Babson about 10 years ago with the aim of working with students to help them not only learn how to be good at business and marketing, but to have social impact. And a few years ago, Elizabeth was starting to re-engage this program, and she'll tell you more about that. And she was looking for people who wanted to be involved. And I've done a lot of work in social impact in the communities in Massachusetts and throughout the country. And I was thrilled to have the opportunity not only to work with Elizabeth, but to work with this population of women who are currently in prison. Elizabeth, do you want to share more? Yes, I'd love to. So thank you, Beth. Um, Yes, I have been a Babson for 22 years, which is interesting given that I'm a professor of literature and human rights. So turns out I'm also an entrepreneur. So for a very long time, I was informally having my students in human rights support the work of a small NGO in Wellesley, Massachusetts, that was providing entrepreneurship education inside the walls. My students would be their eyes and ears and do all of their research since the students inside don't have access to internet. As the students inside prepared their business plans, my students would help them with all the information they needed about licensure requirements, locations, 
competitive analysis, pricing, all of those kinds of things to get them up to speed. That was a pre-release program. Uh, The women would be um, leaving within one year. And so that was a really thrilling partnership. But we felt that we really actually wanted to do more and have our own program inside the walls. And I was delighted not only to find support in Babson, we got a small seed grant from that original Venturing Out NGO, and that enabled us to gather a pilot program that we're just completing. Our program is a trauma-informed, humanities-based entrepreneurial leadership program that helps people, regardless of where they are, to have agency and control in thinking about how they live their lives, all the decisions they make, how they think about opportunity, whether that's for a venture or not. And my most natural partner is Beth because she is someone who teaches entrepreneurship education to all kinds of audiences with a social impact in mind. What I love about this conversation is, you know, if you say entrepreneurship to people, they have the mindset probably, you know, what pops into their head is, you know, Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, you know, Jeff Bezos, right? You know, the the big name entrepreneurs. But entrepreneurship has really developed its own voice, right? Over the last couple decades, at least that's how I perceive it. And in reading your prospectus about your prison initiative, I love that you drill down on it to talk about that the entrepreneurial, what you were just saying, Elizabeth, the entrepreneurial mindset, and I'm reading right from your prospectus, steeped in the critical thinking practices of the liberal arts, along with basic business knowledge with the goal of providing possible paths to financial stability. So it really isn't just like, we're going to teach you how to start a company and go get funding and figure out how to hire people and build out your business model. This program, this prison initiative under the entrepreneurship model actually starts with the person itself, right? Exactly. And Beth, maybe I'll let you speak to that. Yeah. So our philosophy and and the way we teach the pedagogy we use at Babson is that entrepreneurship is not limited to just starting a business. It's really an approach to problem solving and trying to understand where there's an opportunity to make change happen. And we don't. It's not just that we deliver it this way with within the walls, but with our students and our alumni. The engagement is really around how do we think and approach problems. Because as we work with the undergrads and the grad students, and and I work, um, I'm the director of uh, academic strategy for the Youth Impact Lab. So I work with under 18 audience and teachers. And the philosophy is the same. We're really focused on helping people develop social emotional skill sets around growth mindset, having agency, resiliency, all those areas that we know are a major challenge, especially post-COVID, and they apply directly to within the walls as we're working with the women, we're really trying to help them understand and see themselves as entrepreneurial leaders who can make change happen within their own lives, within the lives of the women they're, they're also in the prison with. And so it's a, it's a different approach and a different way of thinking about what it means to be an entrepreneur. It's a much broader and a much more powerful way of seeing how one can make change happen in the world. And I, again, really just love this conversation because a lot of what you're teaching goes back to just the basics of life. And a lot of these women, most of them are in there because they've had trauma-informed lives, right? 
That's exactly right. And um, I'd love to speak to that because that was one of the innovations that we decided on early on, that we our goal was to help the women inside the walls, um, regardless of why they're there. We don't talk about their crime or their time. We are there to engage with them as students and human beings who, wherever they are, can take some agency over the decisions they make and the, and the choices that they make. Our goal is to help them to become creative, confident, and credible selves, and particularly that credibility is very lacking when one is incarcerated. And in order to do that, before we, we developed a four-course sequence, and it sort of it flips back and forth. First, they do a humanities course called The Art of the Self, and then they do an entrepreneurship course, entrepreneurial leadership, and then they do another humanities course and a final entrepreneurship course. The first humanities course is deeply trauma-based because we understand that every single person we encounter has trauma and post-traumatic stress. Most of them, 99.999% before they came inside the walls. And for anyone who didn't, they sure sure enough have it now. Some of the trauma that we have encountered is, is just some of the worst that you can imagine on this earth. Take all the social ills that you know of and think about how they might impact the actual humans experiencing them. Poverty, racism, sexism, any quality, lack of access, etc. And you will have the population that we are serving. And what we found with the trauma work, which we've also piloted inside a men's facility, is that because of new knowledge in the trauma field from neuroscience, which has shown using brain scans how post-traumatic stress impacts the brain, how it can light up the parts of us that are very low-functioning reptilian or, you know, our early brains that are fight, flight, or freeze and close down our frontal lobe, which is rational thinking. And that can account for moments of extreme unrest and violence, aggression, and so on. Not in an excusing way, but in an understanding way so that people can look at this material, look at the actual brain scan and say, hmm, that might be something I'm experiencing. And we then provide tools to help to cope with trauma and all the tools that are out there in the press right now around mindfulness, movement, you know, the body keeps the score, trauma's in the body, how can you move it out of your body? And I'm very excited to report that we've heard not only from our students inside, but also from corrections officers and administrators that they've seen behavioral changes. They have witnessed people making different choices, avoiding aggressive outcomes as a result of this work. And that's a great segue to talk about the scale because how long does each of these courses, you've got them broken into four semesters on paper that I'm looking at, how long is each course? So the way the courses are structured, they're now approximately 14 weeks, each course once a week for two and a half to three hours. But one of the lessons learned, because this was an entrepreneurial journey for us, that the two-year span doesn't fit. It doesn't align with the individuals who are most likely going to be able to get out in an adequate amount of time to have gone through the whole program. So now going forward, we're looking at doing this as a one-year program, opening it up to many more individuals who could benefit from the program and concurrently take one semester of a humanities course. So for example, first semester is Elizabeth's Art of the Self and concurrently take 
transform through entrepreneurial leadership, which focuses more closely on the entrepreneurial leadership aspects of self and identity. And in the second semester, they take self as a global citizen, which is humanities course taught by Elizabeth, and concurrently will take Leading Your Startup, which is the course they're, I'm currently teaching, where they're actually learning how to develop a social impact project or a business. And I just have to say, the businesses, the projects these women are working on are incredible because they're addressing the very challenges they're facing. So, for example, they're working on after-school programs or young adult programs for individuals who are experiencing trauma or in neighborhoods where their challenges are, are even greater. And they're trying to address those very challenges and issues and surroundings that got them into or contributed to the situation there and now, which led them to getting into jail. So they're working on preventative business ideas and social projects. So it's pretty impressive. Um, and as they're getting out after a year, we're very confident some of them will go forth and actually be able to hopefully prevent these challenges from happening, or at least be in a position to support them. So the new program, and I'm presuming it's going to start in the fall, is Mm -hmm. going to be 14 weeks, but they're going to be doing both the art of the self and the entrepreneurial leadership side by side. And so will they still only need two and a half to three hours a week, or does that get extended to like five to six hours? They're taught separately. So example, one might be a Monday and the other class might be a Wednesday. So just like two college courses would be taught because they'll actually be getting college credit for this from Babson. And so it would be closer to six hours a week. How do these women get involved in this program? And and I want to make sure we're clear. So this is being done at the Massachusetts Correctional Institute in Framingham, Massachusetts, correct? Yes, yes. And how many women are in the correctional facility and how many get to participate in this program? You know, one impetus for this program and others like it is that Massachusetts has had some prison reform at the legislative level and is seeking to really kind of close out prisons and to get women back outside and people back outside and other opportunities. I believe they're down to 200 or fewer. Yeah, it's a little under 200. I don't know the exact number, but but it's been decreasing over the past few years. Well, I know they're closing the MCI Concord location, and I believe that had women as well. So I'm thinking some of those because they don't have as many and the, the facility is literally falling apart. So I, when we come back, we're going to take a quick break. I want to chat some more about the program, about what you're seeing, about the response from your students, and how you're planning to scale this up, because I think this just sounds like something that needs to be in every jail and prison across the U.S. So you've a big job ahead of you. So listeners, we're going to take a quick break. Beth and Elizabeth will hang out with us a little bit longer. Grab another cup of coffee. You're listening to this week's The Hustler Files. Hello, this is Glenn Sexton, Superintendent and Special Sheriff of the Hampshire County Sheriff's Office and Correctional Center located in Northampton, Massachusetts. If you are considering a career in the field of corrections and public safety, as well as working for an agency that prides itself on integrity, dedication, and professionalism, then please visit our website, HampshireSheriffs.com. We currently have open positions in security, health services, counseling, treatment, and education. Thank you. We look forward to hearing from you. 
Welcome back to this week's The Hustler Files. I'm Lisa Riley, and if you're just joining us, we're here this week with Beth Goldstein and Elizabeth Swanson, both professors and faculty at Babson College, multi-published authors, champions for social justice and equity issues both here in the U.S. and abroad, and leaders who are driving the charge to bring an educational, entrepreneurial, and life-changing initiative called Venturing Out Behind the Wall. So Beth and Elizabeth, once again, welcome back and thank Thank you for joining us this week. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you. So when we were on break, we were just covering a bunch of subjects that we want to touch on. And let's jump right in. So one of the things we touched on was the challenge of being funded. So how is Venturing Out being funded so that you and your team can go into the MCI Framingham facility and teach these women? We started with, we were very fortunate to receive a seed grant from this small NGO, Venturing Out, that was unfortunately could not sustain itself. I think it was a matter of time, energy, and resources. And they had some resources left. And we took that, which was a shoestring, and we did it on a shoestring to start our pilot. We were then gifted a grant from the president of Babson College, who has a social innovation fund for this year. And you know, it was clear to us that this was a one-time grant. We'd need to pound the pavement going forward. And pounding the pavement is just what we're doing. So we have some grants in the works. We're in a bit of an emergency situation at the moment in order to be able to recruit for the fall. We really need to have our resources tied up by around April 1. So we're always looking for anyone who is interested in engaging and being part of this to support us. So listeners out there, if that's you, we would love to be in touch. But yes, it's a, it's a challenge. We have two options. One is that we fund this through donations and grants. And the other is that we fund it by becoming a Pell Grant. The federal government would pay for the students to have these courses. But the latter option is extremely challenging in terms of a process. So that's where we are with funding. It's always a challenge, but we cannot think of a more impactful use of resources at this particular time, partly because of the wide-ranging impacts of the work. How many women are going through this program when you're doing your cohorts? Currently, we have a smaller number. We started with about 12 women, and we've lost a few to either being released or to other issues of not being able to complete the program. But going forward, we hope that we would have between 15 and 25 women per course. So where does the cost factor come in? Because I know you do use Babson students as interns for assisting with the teaching part of this, correct? I'm not sure I'd call them interns. I think their role, and because we see this as part of the education of our own students, is they're involved with a lot of times conducting research for the women because there's no internet access within the prison. But there are numerous costs involved. Some of that is just ensuring where the educators are paid. But there's also a lot of administrative work. For example, if you want to bring a student in, there's a whole series of documents they have to complete. They've got to do orientation. There's a lot of logistics. We both have full-time jobs. And while we love this and are committed to doing it, there's only so much time in the day. And so there's administrative costs. There's educational costs as well. There's also materials. We we bring all the materials in for the women. There's travel costs. It's what you would expect to deliver a program. And it all has to be done in person because, as you just mentioned, there is no Internet for incarcerated individuals. 
Exactly. That's right. So what made you choose MCI Framingham to start versus any number of other jails or prisons across the state of Massachusetts? That's a great question. Thank you. We started at MCI Framingham because we had been at their sister facility, which was South Middlesex Correctional Center, and it was the minimum security pre-release facility connected to MCI Framingham, which is a medium security facility. And so we just kind of moved over when South Middlesex closed. And it does present interesting challenges because unlike a jail where people are serving a sentence of two years or less or they're awaiting trial, and unlike the pre-release program, the women that we work with could have anywhere from five years to a life sentence. And so we are looking at people who may or may not walk outside the walls, but that does not mean that the work is not valuable. And one of the reasons for that, beyond simply the development and edification of people who have incredibly difficult histories. It's also about the ripple effect on families and communities by having incarcerated people be able to have access to education that many of them never had outside the walls. And in particularly this program, with its emphasis upon trauma and healing and its emphasis on agency and empowerment through entrepreneurial leadership, we are hearing from both the male and the female inmates that we've worked with that they are parenting differently, that they have different lessons to to pass on to their kids. I'm going to be a different dad. I never knew this. This blows my mind. Now I see all around me the trauma of the social problems of our world, and I'm going to stop the cycle for my child. And that, to us, is incredibly impactful, regardless of whether that person, him or herself, is walking out of the doors. Yes, we've talked about that, and I agree the generational impact is a necessary piece of someone's rehabilitation. We've had people on the show who continue to go through those generational parenting classes even once they've been released because it gives them a sense of community. It gives them a sense of feeling like they're not the only one who wasn't the best parent. And when they go sit in a room, we've had young men in the studio who have spoken about, you know, some of them have taken the, the localized class of that nurturing fathers type program two, three times because it it makes them just feel connected. Right, exactly. You know, the the more the better because the impacts on the community and on families of incarceration are monumental. And so you can just see the cycle. You know, all of our students are mothers, some of them grandmothers, and they talk about their fear that their child might experience the same and that they aren't outside the walls to be able to protect them and guide them. But they can do it from within. And they talk about different visits that they're having with their children and different conversations. I think the thing that always concerns me, and I'm sure it concerns everyone who works in this space for prison reform and trying to fix the justice system the way it is now is, you know, you do this great program and they get college credits and they're so engaged. And then what happens? They're in there for five years or they're in there for another five years or they're in there for life. And so how do we as a society and educators like yourself continue to precipitate this ongoing conversation? conversation because when you walk out the door, you're gone. 
But that's one of the reasons why our focus is on skill building, not just content knowledge, right? We're not just teaching them how to create a business model or a marketing plan or finances for a business. We're teaching them about skills that will allow them to be more confident in themselves, be able to work better with others and through others. So whether they are in the system for the rest of their lives or they are out three, five years after the program. Those are skills that go with them, right? They may forget how to do a business model, but hopefully they will have continued to practice and been engaged in their own agency and self-confidence and ability to think beyond their current situation and apply it. So that's where we're focusing. And do you leave behind materials that they can reference back as they need to, even once the program is over? Absolutely. Absolutely. Every, all the materials are provided by us and all of them are for them to keep. And we, we really try to use that, the privilege of being able to get materials, people inside, because it's not easy to do. And so we kick up very seriously and try to do all we can to bring the most robust and helpful materials to ensure that they have them to continue to look back on over time. And adding to that, we know they're using it because in the class now where I'm teaching them about leading us their own startup, they're referencing the rereading of material that Elizabeth shared with them a year and a half ago. So it stays with them and they're continually engaging and re-engaging and building and scaffolding upon their current knowledge to further themselves. And on that note, we're going to have to wind down. Unfortunately, we run out of time every week, but I would love to have both of you back because we didn't get really a chance to talk about the other side, which is some of the letters and responses you've received from these incarcerated individuals. But before we go, I always ask each of my guests one very important question, and that is that I'm a believer we all have life assignments. And they can change on our journey in life. But at this point, Beth, I'll start with you. What do you think your life assignment is? That's a great question. I'm really committed to or hoping to help other people feel confident in who they are and and embracing that. And if I can do that for my students, for the women inside, for even my colleagues, people I work with, then I feel like my life goal is where it needs to be. And I'm, I'm achieving that. That sounds very rewarding. Good for you. And Elizabeth, what about you? What do you think your life assignment is? I think my life assignment has been to recognize people who are marginalized in our societies, often in very serious ways and vilified, and to bring a trauma-informed approach to helping to restore their dignity. I've worked with survivors of torture, sex slavery, and now incarceration, and that's really my mission and goal in each setting. And then to help teach our young'uns who are in our college classrooms about those folks so that they can burst through some of the stereotypes and some of the images that they may have about people who are just like them, human. That is a wonderful contribution to our society, and I applaud both of you. You're making a difference. I always feel that even if we reach one person, we help change one person's viewpoint or give them one opportunity or offer them just the hope that a lot of them have lost. Again, thank you both for joining us today. And listeners, don't go anywhere. We still have to wrap up this week with The Hustler Files. 
Join the Hamden County Sheriff's Office medical team. We offer professional medical and mental health care during and after incarceration, following a revered public health model. We're hiring for nursing and supervisory roles, offering a less hectic case than hospitals, a state pension, benefits, and potential retirement after 20 years. Our firm but fair approach to corrections has been emulated nationwide. We're not your average law enforcement agency. Visit our website to learn more. We are back, and this week's thoughts come from Sarah Christensen. In case no one told you today, the way you keep choosing courage over fear is inspiring. In case no one told you today, the way you've learned to honor your needs is an incredible sign of growth. In case no one told you today, this world is better because you're here. In case no one told you today, let them say what they want about you. You just keep shining your beautiful light. In case no one told you today, don't give up. Those desires in your heart are there for a reason. In case no one told you today, there's so much more in store for you. And in case no one told you today, thank you for being you. I want to thank our guests and our listeners and our sponsors. You can find all of our shows on the WHMP.com podcast page or on any of your favorite podcast sites. Have a wonderful week ahead. And remember, don't be ashamed of your story. It will inspire others. See you next week right here on The Hustler Files. (laughs) 